Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. This WBEZ podcast is supported by Ravinia, with over 100 concerts under the stars this summer, including Daryl Hall and Elvis Costello, Nora Jones with special guest Mavis Staples, the Beach Boys with special guest John Stamos, Shaggy and TLC, Jason Isbell and the 400 Unit, the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, and more. Their 30-acre park is nestled in a gently wooded area. Bring your own picnic or eat at one of the park restaurants. Tickets available now only at ravinia.org. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. As you've likely seen in the headlines or heard on WBEZ, the Supreme Court has struck down affirmative action programs at Harvard and the University of North Carolina. This decision means colleges and universities can no longer consider race a factor in student admissions. The ruling reverses more than 40 years of legal precedent. So to get more context and analysis, we're speaking with Stephen Schwinn, professor at the University of Illinois Chicago Law School. Also with us is WBEZ higher education reporter Lisa Phillip. Now, the court ruled 6-3 to three in the University of North Carolina case and 6-2 to two in the Harvard case with Justice Katanji Brown-Jackson recusing herself. Professor, what's your reaction to the rulings? Well, it, it's not a surprising ruling, Sasha, but it's a devastating ruling. It effectively eviscerates affirmative action in higher education. It leaves a very, very narrow window open for schools to use race. And actually, the chief justice kind of interestingly suggests a way that schools might be able to still use race in their admissions, but in a very, very narrow way. It's very difficult to see how schools are going to navigate this opinion and still retain race as a uh, characteristic that they consider in the admissions process. And we'll talk more about that. But Lisa, I'm curious as to your initial thoughts here. Yeah, I, I would agree in that, you know, this isn't totally unsurprising. A lot of people were predicting that this was the way the court was going to go on this. Um, I think it just raises a lot of questions, as Steve mentioned, about how will universities move forward past this? I know that, you know, these universities, a lot of them have missions that include racial diversity. And so this ruling isn't necessarily going to change that, but they're going to have to figure out different ways of carrying that out. Almost contradicts it, right? Right. In the majority opinion issued today, Chief Justice John Roberts, he wrote that the two affirmative action programs, quote, unavoidably employ race in a negative manner, involve racial stereotyping and lack meaningful endpoints, unquote. What do you make of that argument, Lisa? Um. So I think that, um, <clears throat> again, I, I think it's unsurprising in that um, the that students for fair admissions had argued that um, the consideration of race and admissions um, violates the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment. I've talked to folks who very much disagree with that argument, of course, um, in that that uh, amendment was drafted and ratified during a time when of, uh, you know, racial reconstruction in this country and and the people who drafting it very much were not were not operating in a system of colorblindness. There was an acknowledgement of inequality on the basis of race. So 
I think, you know, historical context is definitely something to consider when we're breaking down this argument. But I'm definitely curious to read more and, and hear more from uh, legal experts like Steve on what they think of that portion. <laughs> yeah, let's let's turn to you, uh, Professor, and and back to something you mentioned earlier, right? Chief Justice Roberts stressed in his ruling that the court was not entirely prohibiting schools from considering how race affects an applicant's life. I need you to explain that. Yeah. Well, good question. So where do I start, right? There's so much to unpack in this decision, Sasha. And um, the the points that you mentioned are really the points that the chief said. These are the reasons why the school's use of race in their admissions doesn't meet, meet a test that we call strict scrutiny. That's sort of the most aggressive, the, the most uh, scrutinizing way the court is going to view an action. And it applies that test anytime the government uses race. So here – When the government is using race, even in the wee little bit that it is, even in a holistic assessment of each individual candidate on their own merits, even so, the court says, that use of race is going to be subject to this very highly scrutinizing test. And he says it fails for exactly the reasons that you identified. At the same time, he says, schools now can use other ways to uh, measure things like Overcoming adversity, for example, and he writes specifically that there's nothing in the court's opinion that prohibits a school from reading a student's essay that describes how they've overcome adversity because of race. And so what he seems to be saying is that Mm. schools can still use race, but they have to use it in kind of an under-the-radar kind of way. And in a way, interestingly and troublingly, in my view, that puts the burden on the applicant not the school. In other words, puts the burden on the person who has had to overcome adversity because of race instead of the institutions that have created that adversity in hmm. the first place. Interesting. Now, in her dissent from the from the bench, Justice Sonia Sotomayor said uh, the conservative majority has effectively ended race-conscious college admissions, right? So, so Lisa, talk about what this uh, decision from the court means for the future generations then of Black, Latino, and other students of color, I'm thinking of what the professor just told us. I mean, the, the essays have to be much more in-depth, right? They've got to talk about struggle, it sounds like. Right, right. And and it's interesting. I think it will be interesting to see what how are, how are schools supposed to evaluate that in an essay, you know? Like, is that something that they have to turn a blind eye to because you're no longer allowed to consider race? Um, I think, you know, in states that have banned affirmative action in the past, like California and Michigan— the those bans have had effects on the numbers of students of color obtaining college degrees. It's had a chilling effect in some cases where less students are applying. Um, you know, it may have had impacts on the number of students that are admitted because by ending the consideration of race, you're not taking into account systems of privilege that advantage certain students over others. So systems like legacy admissions that bring in the family members of alumni who, you know, historically for generations have been white. You're not taking into the um, into account that students of color are more likely to have gone to a school system or school that was under-resourced. So I think, you know, a lot of, a lot of people watching this case are going to be wondering how how will students of color, you know, who are already very much minorities on these campuses, how will they become more of a presence? Yeah. Well, you know, today, President Biden directed the Department of Education to analyze practices 
that'll help build a more inclusive student body and practices that hold back, like legacy admissions, right? So do you think that this ruling will add more pressure to end legacy admissions? I certainly do. I will be, you know, a lot of schools have already moved to drop legacy admissions in particular in the past few years. Um, But, you know, still locally, as we've discussed before, Northwestern and University of Chicago still have those policies in place. And I imagine that this will place some pressure on them to do away with those policies that, again, disadvantage, typically disadvantage students of color. Professor, the majority opinion also exempts uh, military academies from the the ban on on race-conscious admissions. Tell us more about that. So this is really interesting. It came up in oral argument where the chief seemed to be searching for a kind of exception to what he anticipated their ruling to be that would apply to military academies with the recognition that military academies are are preparing people to defend the national defense, right? Mm -hmm. And that's a really compelling interest. And so this is one of those narrow areas, Sasha, where the court may allow a race-based affirmative action program that meets that test I described earlier, strict scrutiny. The reason why is because national security is a compelling interest. And if the military institutions think that they need to use race in order to increase diversity at those institutions in order to protect the national interest, well, mm-hmm. I suspect the courts may defer to them. Well, how narrow is that window? And is it possible in the future that we could see race-conscious admissions challenged at these military academies, too? Oh, I, th- I think that's a certainty. I think Nothing's we'll off them. the table. Nothing's off the table at this point. And, you know, the things that, that you were just talking about with Lisa, for example, the legacy admissions, I think, you know, we're going to see challenges to all the different ways that schools now are trying to rejigger their admissions process in order to maintain racial diversity on campus. So as we've been talking about, Lisa, a lot of colleges and universities across the country have been preparing for this day for a long time. It really was just a matter of when, right? Um, This isn't the first time that affirmative action's been challenged in court as well. So just talk more about what this decision means for how the schools are going to make their campuses more diverse, right? That's the goal still, isn't it? Yeah, I, I believe so. From what I've heard from universities who are, you know, recommitting to this like how, how do they rethink their efforts yeah, they, on this? They can look at race-neutral, so-called race-neutral proxies, like socioeconomic standing. Um, that's one that's been discussed a lot. The, the issue, though, is that there has been modeling by researchers on how much that it can actually do to improve access to selective colleges for students of color. And they just don't don't really do away what this was a study out of Georgetown Um they found that it made really only a marginal difference to consider something like that in place of race neutral, um, in, in place of considering race. Mm. What what Georgetown, these researchers really found was that you'd have to like reform the entire admission system, including by getting rid of legacy um, admissions preferences, athlete uh, admissions preferences as well. Mm. So I think we're there's going to be a lot of examination of like how you change admissions policies, but maybe also this, you know, you have to change your recruitment strategy. Yeah, ripple and, effects beyond <clears throat> just the admissions process. Right, right. Um, I mean, you know, both recruitment and then retention as well, right? But it's, it's, I'm interested to see how much this will touch upon those other areas. Yeah. Professor put this in context for us here how big of a difference do you think the decision will have you know on college admissions moving forward 
Oh, I think it's going to be a sea change. We're going to see colleges and universities make dramatic changes to their admissions criteria in an effort to enhance and and retain the diversity that they've worked so hard to achieve over the years. And they're going to do it in the ways, I suspect, that uh, that Lisa has talked about. But but I suspect equally that then those are going to be subject to litigation. Mm. Um, I'm so confused at this point, too, as a mom who's got a a kid – in two years, this will be, you know, us, right, trying to figure out her, her next steps. And I'm just trying to think of the ripple effects and how this will impact our family. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's in higher education, but it really cuts across the board. You know, the Supreme Court has been on a long march toward moving toward a colorblind constitution where the Equal Protection Clause means that we don't acknowledge color, we don't treat people by color, we certainly don't label people by color. And this is the kind of capstone to that movement where the court is saying, look, racial labeling itself is the constitutional evil that we ought to be concerned about. And what this ignores is some of the things that Lisa had talked about before. I love this phrase, systems of privilege that you used. What the court's ignoring are these systems of privilege, systemic racism, systemic oppression, and pretending that if we have a colorblind society, racism will go away. Katanji Brown-Jackson has an awesome phrase, uh, the let them eat cake, willful blindness uh, to the realities of race relations in our society. Could we see this decision shake up hiring practices? We could potentially. Now, hiring practices fall under a different line of affirmative action. What the court has said is that the government can use race in order to overcome prior unlawful discrimination. And so that's a kind of measurable thing that a government can say we either have discriminated or not, and we can use race in order to overcome that ugly history of racism. That's different in higher education. Part of what Chief Justice Roberts said today is in higher education, these are just not measurable things, and that's part Mm. of the reason why race doesn't work. Well, I have you both here. We're, we're also waiting on a, a major ruling on, on President Biden's student debt relief program. That plan would forgive up to $20,000 worth of debt for qualifying borrowers. Uh, so based on how the court ruled on affirmative action, you're smiling. Dare I ask, how do you expect justices to rule on this issue, Professor? Oh, gosh, it's really hard to say. We were just saying before we went on the air how surprising it is that the court has waited this long on this opinion, because ultimately there's a good reason why it could fizzle out. Sasha, we had talked uh, several weeks ago that it's not clear that the parties have standing to even bring this case, in which case the case goes away. That the court has waited this long suggests to me that they're going to do something dramatic here. And my guess is probably overturn the program. Mm. What are you watching for, Lisa? I mean, you're, you're busy. Steven, yes, yes. <laughs> As the higher end is, reporter, you are busy these days. Yes. Let's say that. Um, you know, I've been talking to a lot of borrowers who are now facing the resumption of federal student loan repayments this October. And they haven't made payments since near the beginning of the pandemic. And that's really allowed them to make certain financial decisions that they wouldn't have otherwise. Are they watching right? and waiting for this decision they too? They really, really are. And I think a lot of folks were like, we signed up for this. We, it was such a promising program. We, you know, we're basically relying on this. Um, you know, you've, you've heard from, we've heard from a lot of borrowers who were basically able to cover basic needs. You know, the, the cost of things have increased substantially. And so people are using what they would have, you know, used to make cover student loan payments to 
pay for rent and for food. So people are really watching to see whether, like, you know, especially people who were on Pell Grant and, you know, come from under-resourced backgrounds, like this could make a huge difference in their ability to provide for their family and such. So people are definitely definitely on edge over this decision. Well, anything else, Professor, that we should know as the justices wrap up their their final rulings of the term? Well, just one more beat, Sasha, on the higher education uh, student loan case that comes down to likely tomorrow. Sure. That is that this may not be the end of the story. So the Biden administration may have other statutory authority in the Higher Education Act to effect the same result not through the HEROES Act, but through the Higher Education Act. Now, that may require jumping through some additional hoops on the part of the administration, and certainly we'd see litigation around that as well. But this may not be the end of the story. Okay. We'll be talking with Stephen Schwinn, who's a professor at the University of Illinois Chicago Law School, and WBEZ's Lisa Phillip. Thank you both so much for the update. Thanks for having me. Thanks. This episode of Reset was produced by Stephanie Kim and Brenda Ruiz, and it was edited by Andrew Merriweather. Stay up on the biggest news and get analysis from experts by subscribing to the Reset podcast. We share episodes Monday through Friday with a bonus episode on Saturdays. That'll do it for Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Talk to you tomorrow. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.